why I wanted to come to RLC was to really see what it was like on a bigger scale, what you know, being a part of TalkCap Epsilon really means, in addition to learning you know, some management and leadership skills. You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Hey everyone, my name is Alex Swinson and I'm the Director of Education for Tall Kappa Epsilon and we wanted to do something special for you all this RLC season. We know that not everyone gets an opportunity to attend an RLC. Luckily this year we had almost 1,200 individuals get to one of our four regional leadership conferences, but if you weren't able to join us, we captured some of the audio, we recorded some of our sessions, we mic'd up our speakers, and we wanted to give you access to the content that the RLC participants are getting. So hopefully you take advantage of these opportunities. We have our CEO, we have our chief risk officer, we have some of our undergraduate members, all who attended RLCs and wanted to share a little bit about the theme of the program, about St. Jude. A lot of different topics are covered, but it was important to us to be able to offer this content out to you all. As we know, again, not everyone has a chance to attend. One thing to keep in mind as you are going through these different sessions and listening to our different speakers, we are at a bunch of different hotels this month recording this audio in a bunch of different environments. So you may hear the levels come up and go down, maybe hear a little ambient noise in the background. Some of these were recorded in front of a live audience. Some of them were recorded in a small private room. So just keep that in mind as you're going through. You may need to adjust the volume at times, but hopefully that doesn't impact what you're taking away and you can still give it a listen. And hopefully you all take this in and enjoy it. So here we have our chief risk officer, Greg Roscoff, talking about building a championship culture. And if that's something that sounds familiar to you, it's probably because it was our theme of the 2017 to 2019 biennium. So Conclave, two RLCs, they all revolved around the theme of building a championship culture. We have moved on now to the expectation of excellence as our current biennium theme, but we didn't want to just leave culture and never touch it again. We all know that culture is extremely important as you try and build success and sustain success within your own chapter, in your own campus, in your own life. And Greg talks a little bit about what type of people you need to surround yourself with, what type of environment you need to create, and how you can best create that culture that's going to lead to that success that you are seeking. We're here to talk about building a championship culture, all under the expectation of excellence. And I want to thank you guys for getting up and getting after it this morning. So, what are we going to talk about? Why? We're going to talk about why build a championship culture. Why is that important to you? From there, we're going to move into a plan for success, and then we're going to wrap it up with the R factor and being a champion. And what you can do behavior-wise, specific plan-wise, what you can take back, what's actionable, a process, and put that into place. Here's my question, why should you, why should you build a championship culture? What do we got? Who can tell me? Yeah. A culture lasts longer than one man or one group. So you want this to outlive. What's that typically called? Longevity? A legacy, right? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want it just to be a blip. Right? You don't want it to just be a flash in the pan. You're not doing this just for one little bit, right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, in the back. Who doesn't love being a winner? Yeah, who doesn't love being a winner, right? Exactly. Let's dig into that for one second. You gotta figure out what you want to champion. For some of you, that's gonna be business. For some of you, that's gonna be art. For some of you, that's gonna be sports. For some of you, it's gonna be starting your own business. For some of you, that's gonna be being the best whatever you choose, but figure that out. Explore. You're in your early 20s. Some of you not even 20 yet. This is the perfect time to get out there and just try, try, try to learn from failure and to go out and champion a few things. You've got to hone in on these three factors and let's break these down. Let's break these variables down. Leaders, 
we asked a million people the definition of leadership, we'd probably get a million different results. I've come across two or three that really ring true to me personally. One is it's the process of managing change. Got that one from Dr. Hickey. Another one is getting others to do something they other, otherwise might not. And with that comes a ton of responsibility because it's got to be in the positive, right? So leaders. If you asked Kuzis and Posner, who wrote one of the most widely regarded books on leadership, called The Leadership Challenge, what do leaders do? They would say they do two things. They do two things, Christian. They tell you who they are and where you're going. Who they are, where you're going. Why is that important? Because it involves other people. Leadership involves other people, Hogan, which means it cannot be ego-driven. It's got to be pure. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be core. Latin for the heart. Core. Core values. Culture. I said last night, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You could have the best strategy, the best playbook. You could have the best laid out plans. But if your culture doesn't support it, people are too lazy to get up. People are too lazy to enact those plans. People choose getting, getting drunk, taking advantage of women, leaving the house looking like crap, not coming to meetings. People choose all of that over that championship culture. None of this is going to work. I got five tips for success I want to leave you guys with. One, you got to have a long-term approach. I already said this. The shortcut to success is discipline. Discipline builds habits. In the book, The One Thing, Mr. Keller, who wrote that, owns Keller Real Estate, they found it takes 61 days to build a habit. And it requires discipline over those days to build that habit, to develop that consistency. And every single day you have to use your willpower. So they broke it down to the day. So there's no shortcut other than discipline. You gotta have a long-term approach. No one wins the blame game, don't play the victim card. If you're complaining, if you're blaming, if you're getting all defensive about things, what does that do? It just brings in the negative energy, man. You're giving away that R factor. You're giving away your power. You have to make a decision to commit. Talked about this in the recruitment session I've done over the years. It's called the success equation. If you put in 50% of the time, and you put in 50% of the effort, you're gonna get a quarter of the results. One half times one half is a quarter. Didn't think you'd be doing all this math this morning, did you? If you're going to half-ass something, you're not going to get the results that you want. Figure out what you're going to do and commit to it. If you want to be a great home cook, commit to it. If you want to be a great amateur golfer, commit to it. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Discipline overcomes adversity. Can't use that word enough. One other thing on discipline real quick before I move away from that. Discipline to me means flexibility. It means the ability to handle multiple situations because I know I have what it takes to overcome. Discipline is not some external rigid set of rules. It's not some drill sergeant getting in my face, Tyler, and yelling at me about how I have to live my life. No, discipline is my own internal way of doing business because I know what I'm doing because I've built the habits, right? If you think discipline is this external force, I challenge your definition. And lastly, know thyself. Become the best version of you. Make that decision. Choose for you. Don't choose for your parents. Don't choose for someone else. Choose for you, man. Choose for you. And go out and get it. It's out there. Take it. That's not selfish. That's success. The people around you will be better for it. Because you'll finally be living the life that you deserve and the one that's aligned to your values. This next session is something that I think is really, really special that we added to the RLCs this year, and that is a St. Jude No More Cancer Rally. In short, 
a No More Cancer Rally is an event that you can do back on your home campus. Invite anyone and everyone. Doesn't have to be just Teeks. And it's an opportunity to put together a a pre-built fundraiser where you can raise money for St. Jude. We did a No More Cancer Rally at Conclave. We saw tremendous success with that, and we wanted to continue that at each of the regional leadership conferences. So we did four of them. We went through the entire process, and we raised, in the month of February alone, over $50,000 between the four RLCs. What we have here is our St. Jude representative, Kelly McKimmons, talking a little bit about what it takes to put on a No More Cancer rally back on your home campus. So if this is something you're interested in, please give this a listen. Please write some information down. And if you are interested, please reach out to Kelly, reach out to the folks at St. Jude, and they can help set you up and make sure that you are in a position to put on a fantastic rally at home. so excited. This rally was amazing. You guys have raised so much money and we're so excited to share that with you tonight. Thank you so much for participating. I know that sometimes technology can be an issue, but you guys were so great. So thank you so, so much. So we wanted to do this rally here so that you guys could see how you can do it back at your chapters. Um, because as you'll see tonight, it raises so much money for just 45 minutes of fundraising. So. I have a couple reasons of why you should host a rally at your chapter. The first one is that it's super easy, like so easy. Your two MCs up here today, they just follow the PowerPoint. So you don't even have to know how to do anything, you just have to watch the videos, do a recap, super easy. And it's also really quick. This rally was less than an hour, it was about 45 minutes, and the money keeps coming in. And so the 45 minutes that you spent here, you'll see money coming in for the next 48 hours. The other reason that we think these are really great for you to host with your chapter is that you have guaranteed attendance. So if you host one of these rallies during your chapter meeting, your chapter's already gonna be there. You already have guys there. The single most important factor for the success of a rally is people being there. So obviously, we're so grateful for you guys being here and participating today. But if you don't have anybody to rally, obviously it's not gonna go super well. So hosting these during your chapter meetings is gonna be really great for you guys because if you have people in the room, you'll get money on your page. And then um, we say that because uh, typically a rally, anybody who's actively participating in a rally raises about $100 to $150. So if you have 10 people doing your rally, if your chapter is super small, that's $1,000 for your chapter. So they're a great way to increase fundraising. And then we just, like I said, make it super easy for you. We provide so many resources. So if you go to stjude.org slash rally resources, we have the PowerPoint there for you. We have a checklist so you know exactly what needs to happen before the rally. We provide social media images so that you can promote your rally. Um, there's a ton, of, like a ton of resources on there. So check that out before you host your rally. And then obviously I am a contact for you guys. So if you need any help, or have any questions, or just kind of want to brainstorm ideas for how to make this a huge success on your campus, I am a resource for you. So my name is Kelly McKimmons. My email is up there. And I will also be sitting at the table all day today to talk about how to host a rally, how to make it successful, and a couple other things with you guys. So thank you so much for having us here this weekend. We're so excited. And thank you for making this rally such a success. All right, in this session, what we did was we took a couple of chapters that perform at a very, very high level from our West Coast, from Region 4, and we asked them some questions. Our CEO, Donnie, sat down with these guys, sat down with representatives from these chapters, and just picked their brains a little bit. And what we have are our members from our chapter at Cal State East Bay and Cal Berkeley talking about what makes them tick, what makes them successful. And, and hopefully, if you're looking to grow your group, if you're looking to build a higher functioning or a more successful chapter or colony, this is something that can really speak to you because we know the value of peer-to-peer -peer learning. And we know that what's going to make you all successful in Teak Nation a lot of that is going to come from trial and error that other chapters and colonies have already done. So again, the opportunity to sit down with some really successful individuals and some really successful chapters, not something we get all that often and, and be able to capture that and, and put it into a podcast. Please take advantage. Please take a listen, take notes and uh, see what you can pull away.
Welcome into the Teak Nation podcast, and we are broadcasting live from the Greg and Kay Woodson Regional Leadership Conference here in the 2020 RLC season. I want to welcome Sid and Simon. Gentlemen, welcome to the Teak Nation podcast. Thanks, Donnie. Thank you, Donnie. I appreciate it. Want to begin, want to give both of you a chance to talk about who you are, where you're from, what group you represent, and then we'll talk a little bit about the RLC. But first, Sid, can you talk a little bit about yourself, where you come from, join the fraternity? Give, give the folks, the listeners out there, a little bit of a flavor about who Sid is. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Siddharth Balecha. I am a fourth year. My major is finance and a minor in health science. I study at Cal State East Bay in Hayward. So from this venue, I'm only 30 minutes away. And currently, I serve as the chapter preness. I've also served as Grammatez for an entire academic year and been the philanthropy chair. I initiated in winter quarter of 2018. Thank you. Simon. Uh, my name is Simon Valancourt. I'm the current preness at New Chapter at the University of California, Berkeley. I'm a second year studying economics. My background's a little complicated. I grew up in a foreign service family, so I grew up abroad in seven countries. So no real hometown there, but fascinating experience for me. And I was initiated in fall of 2018. Perfect. And Sid, am I correct? You have a unique background as well? That is correct. Fun fact, I'm actually an international student and I come from India. That's exactly what the fraternity is about, right? Being very diverse and and what makes us so strong is the different types of people that the fraternity and its values that it represents, but also the, the kind that it attracts. Quickly, can you share, we're, we're here at the Greg and Kay Woodson Regional Leadership Conference here in San Francisco. Talk about why you decided to register and attend the RLC. And if you can give the folks out there, the listeners, because this will be well after RLC season when they, when they hear your voice, your experience so far, we still have a whole entire afternoon, but what you've thought of the conference so far. I think this conference gives you the necessary tools and resources to become an effective brother at your chapter. The reason why I decided to register for RLC is because, first of all, I'm graduating in May. I wanted to do fraternity for life. Second, I was looking at the itinerary, I saw all the workshops, and I was very interested in meeting with the professional staff and networking with all other chapters from across the West region. Thank you. Simon. The reason why I wanted to come to RLC was I had one of my pledge brothers attend Conclave last summer, and he had an absolute blast and said that it was one of the most transformational experiences of his lifetime just because he, it was one of the first times he felt as though he was part of a national organization rather than just, you know, new chapter at Berkeley. So I wanted to come here to really see what it was like on a bigger scale, what, you know, being a part of TACAP Epsilon really means in addition to learning, you know, some management and leadership skills that I can use and take back when, you know, doing my first semester as preness. It's, it's a lot of responsibility, and I wanted to be able to have some tools and thought I could learn a lot of a lot of things from the guys here. So really excited to be here thus far. I've heard some great speeches. We, we had Greg this morning talking about what it means to be a champion, and I took a lot of that speech, and I'm really ready to hit the ground running when I go back home. Beautiful. Both of you are leaders and have very diverse paths in terms of how you've risen into being the preness of your chapter. From your perspective, what is the greatest aspect of our fraternity? And that can be what you're seeing at Berkeley, what you're seeing at East Bay. That could be through the experience, even the short experience you've had here, the values. What, what is it that touches you as the greatest aspect of being a member of this organization? Simon, let's start with you this time. I think that the thing that I appreciate most about being a part of Talk Half Epsilon is the experiences that I've had that have developed me as an individual and more importantly as a man. I think that being in a fraternity has offered me a lot of leadership opportunities and um, you know other opportunities to work with other men on different projects, whether that be philanthropy, social, you know, we're a fraternity that's, you know, all about developing yourself. And so I think that that's been the biggest takeaway that I've had thus far, part of this organization, and I'm very thankful for it. I don't think that I would be a president of an organization without some of the things I learned pledging for my education. Do you have any specific stories in how the fraternity has made you a better man and maybe gotten you out of your comfort zone, put you in a position to challenge yourself and challenge how you, even your perspective? I think that uh, during my pledge semester, I, I think that's when I developed the most because I was working with a group of people that I had never met before. We kind of were just thrown in the same boat together after Rush finished. 
And as, you know, their pledge class president, I had to like kind of guide them through this process, make sure that we were taking the things out of the T guide that we were supposed to, we were doing the things together and really working as a cohesive unit. And I think that, you know, working with people all from all around the country and, you know, we had some international kids really just broadened my perspective of the different types of people, the different types of men and taught me how to like bring those people all together to accomplish some kind of goal. It's a great prerequisite for what you're going to have in your professional career, right? Where you graduate and you're going to be going into the professional world and meeting people you don't know, obviously with all sorts of backgrounds and the different generations of folks that you're going to engage with. It's great to hear that was one of the key experiences that you had to develop you and prepare you for the rest of your life. Sid, how about you? What's, what's the greatest aspect of the fraternity in your eyes? I'm going to explain my entire story from when I came to the United States in fall 2016, I never had an intention of joining a fraternity because I didn't know what a fraternity was until I crossed the recruitment table in our student union. And the f- biggest thing that stood out to me was St. Jude because my aunt suffers from cancer and she just passed away this past winter. So Sorry to hear that. Thank you. Cancer just does make a big impact in everyone's lives. And once I was going through the candidate process, I learned a lot about myself. Freshman year, Sid would never be able to talk in front of people. But now that I'm looking at myself now, I'm more confident. I have people skills, taking on the leadership roles, not during the pledge process, but after initiation has taught me a lot. I had the opportunity to be part of the Leadership Academy, which is the best experience I've ever had. Then go to Conclave and attend RLC. All these opportunities have just continuously made me better and I strive for excellence. That's why being part of Teak and talking to everybody resonates with me so much because I constantly want to become better than what I am right now. Thank you for sharing your story. That's, that's inspiring. Let's talk about your, your actual chapters that you both represent. What would be the thing that you would highlight to our listeners as what your chapter is strongest in? And after you highlight that, why is that? Because everybody has, I think, an area that they believe their, their group does well in. The, the critical piece, especially at RLCs or Leadership Academy, is that peer-to-peer, why are you so strong in that? And what are the things that you do, the habits, the rituals, the tactics you put in place to make that strength a reality? One of the biggest things that my chapter has accomplished is developing a relationship with staff and faculty on our campus. As we all know that college campuses, staff and faculties are not the biggest fans of fraternities and Greek life. As coming into my role as president, I wanted to allow staff and faculty to understand that Greek life makes a very positive impact on our campus. Last year, we raised 41000 for St. Jude in one event, which is a great it's amazing. opportunity. Thank you. It was a great opportunity for us to market ourselves to these professional staff on our campus to know that we're college students and we're trying to make an, make an impact on community. And another successful aspect of great teamwork in our chapter is to schedule all events, meetings beforehand, and pre-planning, having officer meetings and executive meetings efficiently. That's some of the key things that has made our chapter one of the greatest on our campus. Thank you. Simon, your thoughts for the new chapter at Cal Berkeley? I think that one aspect that we've really solidified ourselves in has been our commitment to success as a, as a unit. So I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fraternities at Berkeley. You know, there's 31. And each one kind of has, you know, its own thing. And I'm pretty Its confident. own culture, its own... Exactly. And I, I'm pretty confident that when people come out to rush, they know that the Teaks at Berkeley are committed to their professional success and to their brotherhood. We have a very, very strong balance of those two things. And I think that's something that our hegemons have taken very seriously, is developing our candidates so that they are not only committed to the fraternity, but you know their academics and their um, you know professional success. So we have a lot of people, a lot of seniors that are graduating, going to great jobs, that are still staying very connected to you know their teak past and giving back to the brotherhood, you know, coming back with internship opportunities, coming back with professional experience and passing that down through the generations. We just celebrated our 100 year anniversary, which was fantastic. And at that huge celebration, there were guys networking, everyone was trying to talk to each other, see what everyone was up to so that everyone could get a piece of the pie. So I think that when it comes to what we have done best, it's developing a community where we push each other to be the best that they can be, while also strengthening our brotherhood commitment. Well, creating that 
that environment, that community that you speak of, that that's the literal definition of fraternity for life. That's what we all should be striving is to create our, our chapter or the, the group that we work with most directly, mm -hmm. this pipeline of people who are still engaged as in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And that's been a real challenge for us as an organization. It's great to hear that you have found some success in that. The other word you brought up is, is one of those magical words in our organization, which is brotherhood. What are things that you do that you believe elevate brotherhood? Because it has many different meanings to yeah. many different people in many different groups. It, it does. I think that it's all about forming a community. Some things that I've noticed at other fraternities in Berkeley is retention rates are pretty low. So you, a lot of the fraternities on campus struggle keeping their juniors and seniors around. And by you know starting the process early of integrating our candidates into the brotherhood, and showing them that we're always there for them and that we're going to give them the tools they need to succeed, we keep people around. We show them that we're a part of an organization that is committed to your development, and by staying active in it, you are reaping the benefits of that. So because we are taking that so seriously and you know showcasing to our candidates, and not only after initiation, once they become brothers, that we're still a unit as one, uh, working for a similar goal, all of our success, I think that's when you start to see a lot of the benefits being reaped. They feel like they're part of a family. Yeah. That's, that's no, great. No doubt. We're very fortunate to have our juniors and seniors still, still around and very active. Well, and that's, that's something that every group should take stock of and have focus toward is ensuring that those juniors and seniors are engaged. And what value are you providing to them that makes them want to continue to be a member of the organization and get to the point where they can, where they can embody fraternity for life as you share, mm -hmm. Simon, that they have these job opportunities and these mentoring opportunities. I'm sure some of those guys, even if it's not a, a job opportunity they have for you, they might give you some life advice or they might explain a situation they live through that then you can take into your life and find ways in how that little morsel of information can help you. I know our men, whenever they get together, they want to talk about successful events or successful projects, things that you do specifically that they can take and model or maybe polish it up a little bit and do it their way. Can you highlight or share a successful event or a project? I know, Sid, you talked about the over $40,000 you've raised for St. Jude. That's a phenomenal number and real attribute to, to you and, and the men that you lead. What is the event that you put on that helped to raise that kind of money? So the event that we put on is called Tea Cuts. We do it every spring semester and we do it near the formal season. And in that event, on one of our regular chapter meetings, we just have everyone's, every active member's names in a hat and we draw names. We put them in groups and they all are competing against each other to raise money for St. Jude using the fundraising link. So we all can monitor everyone's progress. And at the day of the event, when it's the group's turn, they all go in front of everyone, they give a couple seconds speech and they have approximately a minute to raise more money on the spot. And after that, we tell you the scores and whoever has the least amount of money raised, they have to shave their heads. To offer a perspective of how the kids feel when they lose their hair while they're going through chemotherapy. It offers a different perspective and it's a friendly competition. Everyone wants to keep their hair. And it's formal season, so you have... Those make for some interesting formal pictures. Not just that. <laughs> graduating seniors are afraid because they have to take the graduation pictures. They have interviews. They There's a little sense of urgency for them to make sure that they fundraise at a high level. Most definitely. But I've seen a lot of girlfriends try to save their partner's hair. They dropped $3,000 on the spot. It was amazing to see that. Well, and the great aspect is it all goes Close back to, to benefit Jude. the children of St. Jude. Absolutely. Simon event or project that's been very successful at Berkeley? Our favorite philanthropy event of the year is usually something we like to call Teak Trivia. And that is where we invite, well, we're fortunate, first of all, to have a very big house that can ha you know, host a lot of people. So what we do is we basically turn our downstairs common room into a huge dining room with a ton of tables. And at each table is a different meal, you know, chips, beverages, whatever. And then we have various TVs scattered throughout the common area. And we invite every sorority on campus to come attend and play a friendly game of trivia. And it costs roughly $20 for one team to come in to form a team and then $15 for each person to participate. And since we've created such a lively culture of that, 
and you know atmosphere where you know there's music playing, everyone's having a good time. It's a friendly competition. Everyone loves pop culture trivia. We have some history. We have some you know Cal stuff. Lots of gold and blue. It's it's a really exciting time, and the sorority girls look forward to coming to it every year. So I think that capturing a small piece in the philanthropy agenda is really important, and I think that we we captured that with trivia, and it's been really successful. Last year was our biggest take-in. I think we made roughly $10,000, and that's really what helped us push us over the edge for a top Teak Award at the end of the year. That's great. Let's talk about recruitment. You guys did a great job in highlighting philanthropy. Recruitment is the other topic that everybody has an insatiable hunger to learn, learn more about. Talking to two incredibly successful chapters here, how do you attack recruitment, Simon? You, you talked about just winning a top Teak Award. How do you guys go about it? What are strategies that you put in place? Recruitment is tough at Berkeley right now, especially with the lawsuit going on and with an overall negative perspective of Greek life at the university level. They've totally cut Greek Carnival. They're not letting freshmen know about it. They're telling freshmen to avoid Greek Row during their orientation week. So recruitment's getting increasingly difficult. And something that we've pushed our rush chairs to do is to go above and beyond so that they can break through some of those barriers. Because right now, you know, something that I think a lot of the a lot of the teak guys that are talking about here are talking about being, you know, better than the average. And people at the top are getting complacent. So what we're seeing is some of the some of the big houses on campus aren't pushing past those barriers and just accepting that they're getting small numbers, poor quality guys. And what we're doing is we're trying to break above that, get the best guys that this campus has to offer, going to social media, organizing Facebook events, reaching out. We helped freshman guys move into their dorms, slip them a rush card, tell them to come by. We have pre-rush events. And then it's all about just advertisement. It's almost a marketing strategy. You really just got to get your name out there and show these young men that the organization, Teak, is going to offer them unlimited resources professional experience and a brotherhood like no other that they're not going to find anywhere else on campus. So recruitment's difficult. It, it really is. And it, it's also one of my favorite part of the years. Just getting to know a ton of guys and deciding which ones I think would be great teaks is very, very fun. Knowing that these guys are getting into something that I did and I was excited about it too. So those are some of our key, key strategies is really just pushing above average and looking for people, going out and finding them, talking to people in class, just getting the Teak name out there, even when the university is totally against you. Well, it's great to hear the passion. That's that's what you can hear in your voice, the passion for for this fraternity and, and what it has done for you. And that that has to, to be the fuel to drive all of our men out there listening who are thinking about recruitment. And, and everybody's situation is different. Some universities are more friendly and some are less friendly, as, as you share, Simon. But what should be there in no matter the situation is the passion and the energy. And we're going to push above. And the, the piece that I love in what you shared is being thoughtful about the type of guys who fit into BTs. You're not looking for any men. You're looking for men who are going to meet a standard. Mm-hmm. And with that doesn't mean we're going to recruit five guys, as you said, right? And say, well, we just have high standards. So that's why we only recruited five guys or 10 guys or 15 guys. It's we are going to have a high standard and we're going to get a high capacity of people because especially at a place like Berkeley, there are a lot of great guys walking around campus. The, the job and the effort is to find those people and get them interested and in, ensure they understand how much value they're going to get out of this organization and how this investment of their time and money is going to, to see returns for the rest of their life. Thanks for sharing that. Sid, talk to me a little bit. Out at East Bay, how do you guys attack recruitment? So our school is primarily commuter, as people commute from Hayward, San Lorenzo, San Leandro. These are some places not many people live on campus. We don't have a restriction that freshmen can't join Greek life. We don't have IFC on our campus, so which gives us an advantage because we can table during orientations. And how we tackle for fall recruitment is we table at every summer orientation. We get their names, emails, and phone numbers. And our recruitment chair contacts them over summer about all the events that we're gonna be having in fall. Similarly, we do it for winter, but we recruit earlier towards end of fall for spring semester. Also, we have all our events pre-planned. We focus, in all those two weeks of recruitment, we focus on six focus points because that's what we want our potential members to know that this is not just a regular fraternity We strive to become better men every day, and we want quality over quantity. Also, we have events with sororities and other clubs and organizations on campus to provide a 
community aspect in our school and an information light where we talk about our dues, etc. So it covers overall about a take experience. And the best part about our information light is that we get feedback from them. And every time they have said that our stories are values and focus points and the amount of work we do for St. Jude is what stands out amongst all the other fraternities. Well, I love that. And one one piece you touched on, and for those who have listened to our podcast, especially our two recruitment sessions, I want to ensure everybody understands you talked about quality over quantity. We want to make sure that we have both, right? If we're putting out a great product, we're going to get a ton of quality guys. You don't have to sacrifice one for another. But to your point, I think where you're going with this, it is we don't want to just let anyone in. We want to make sure that they are the right type of people. They're going to uphold the values of the organization. The people are going to look to make the other men around them better, right? We're asking people to join our family, join our team, and and be part of something that's going to lift us up, not someone who is going to be an anchor to us and drag us downward. So let's make sure for all of you out there listening, we are trying to do those two things simultaneously. Let's let's get let's get the most amount of people on campus who are studs and let's, let's get them ensure they understand the fraternity and what they're, they're going to be a part of. And let's ensure that we have a great new member education plan for them. So when they come in, they know what they're, what they're joining and we're putting them in a position to learn about the organization and set them on a path to be a, a phenomenal frauder and someone who's going to contribute to the team and to the family. As we start to wrap up here, this weekend has been about chasing excellence and it's been about evaluation and improvement. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more this afternoon at the RLC, but I want to ask you individually through the, the time that you've had here, what do you want to take and go home and look to improve upon? You know, many times when we talk about improvement or things you need to do better, that folks instantly think that means they're not very good at it. When that's not necessarily the case from some of the discussions we had, you could be strong at it, but still have the ability to get even stronger. So when I say, what do you want to improve upon, Sid, what comes to mind first off? alumni engagement and recruitment because I believe that we can do even better with our recruitment events and all the other information that we provide during recruitment because of the construction that is happening at our school. They've moved our tabling. It's getting a little hard to access the students going around campus and we're not allowed to go to classes. Definitely that. And increasing our alumni engagement because I've noticed personally that our alumni, alumni stop coming after they graduate or after they join fraternity for life. So these are key things that I want to most definitely focus on. Thank you. Simon, what's, what's in your head as you get ready to head back to Berkeley? There are two things that I, I'm looking forward to bringing back. One is a better outlook and more ideas about what to do with philanthropy. We, we've definitely struggled with philanthropy the most when you go down the list of what it means to be a top teak. Philanthropy is always one of our weakest areas. And, you know, I'm not sure whether that's just systematic or something that we can change right away, but we're going to start tearing it away at it, I, and that starts with new ideas. I've talked to lots of guys around here, lots of, you know, current teaks that have great ideas, Sid included, and I want to bring some of those back so that we can start raising more money for St. Jude and really focusing on the philanthropy aspect of being a part of fraternity. And then second, something that you and I actually talked about in our small session breakout is the importance of ritual. I was totally blown away by doing a grand scale ritual yesterday with actual, the actual Epi Preetness and Grand Hypophetes. That was, that was remarkable to see you know, everyone in action, 90 guys in one room all participating in a ritual that we've all done with our own chapters behind closed doors. So ritual is just something that I think we've kind of lost when it comes to importance and something that I think that we need to bring back. Well, I love in both of your voices the, the passion and focus towards the pursuit of excellence and how you have represented yourselves and represented our organization here this weekend. You guys are living proof of what the fraternity seeks to build in its collegiate men, guys that come from diverse backgrounds who have didn't even ever imagine joining a fraternity who's, who's now built themselves as leaders of this organization. I want to thank you all for joining us on this edition of the Teak Nation podcast, and thank you to all those out there listening.
In this next section, we have Mason from the Epsilon chapter at Iowa State University talking a little bit about his Teak experience. Mason is an undergraduate member, just like many of you who are going to be listening to this. He uh, has seen a lot of success. He's a Leadership Academy graduate. He has uh, helped lead the Epsilon chapter to multiple top Teak awards, and the Epsilon chapter is, is really one of our top groups across all of Teak Nation. And his perspective is, is a little unique coming from a, a group that is 100 plus men and lives in a dry house and participates in RLCs every single year in Leadership Academy and Conclave. So we wanted to ask Mason a few questions about what it meant to be a teak and, and how he's living his bond every single day and what exactly he looked to accomplish here at the Regional Leadership Conference and what he's going to take home. And hopefully, again, if you're an undergraduate, if you hold a leadership position in your chapter or colony or you're hoping to, you can give this a listen, take a little bit away from it, and hopefully Mason helps you out. Mason, thank you for joining us here on the Teak Nation podcast. Can you share with our listeners what what is one successful area that Epsilon, which is your home chapter, Iowa State University, what is one area that you're extremely successful in and what do you think makes you successful in that area? One area that I believe we're very successful in is member retention and member buy-in, if that's what you would like to call it. We've found that one of the easiest ways to retain members and to get people on board with the chapter is to give them a piece of the fraternity. Give them their piece of the chapter, whether that be philanthropy, new member education, or running for a cabinet position. If you give them something that's theirs, something to look after, they love to stay around and we never have an issue with burnout. And you do that with 100 main chapters, so how do you make that work on such a large scale? How it usually works is there's kind of a ringleader for every aspect of the fraternity. There's always a ringleader somewhere, there's, right? There's always a ringleader. And so having those ringleaders understand delegation and understand who they want to recruit to their team, then making sure that every member of their team has a significant role because that's what keeps members around. You know, of course, there's no, there's no way to give 110 guys a position in the fraternity, but if you give them a little piece of a position, they perform very well with that. Love that. What is one area that you all are continuing to seek to grow and to become better. We're here at Donald R. Tapia Regional Leadership Conference here in Chicago. What's one area, maybe even this weekend, that you, you thought about or some of your guys went to sessions on that you want to continue to get better? Because you've won so many top teak awards in a row and to keep that fire and to keep that hunger, what's an area you're focused on and being better? One area that we are really focused on, much like we are teak headquarters-wise, philanthropy. We're continuing to expand, we're continuing to get bigger. One event that we are recently started back up on our campus is called the Ash Avenue Fest. So there's four fraternities around us. We bound together, we each pitched in, we threw this massive philanthropy on the main street of our Greek community. And it was a huge success. And so that was one thing that I really pushed our members to go to here at RLC was different philanthropy events and talk to different individuals that are very successful in throwing those large events just to see what we can do differently. What makes your chapter unique or what makes your chapter someone who has won these top teak awards year after year after year? What do you think in your culture, let's talk about that, what in your culture has put yourselves in a position to be successful and to have that structure to do it year after year after year with new, new leadership, new officers, new people engaged, right? You're losing your senior class every single year. What are you guys doing to continue to create that consistent success? One thing that we do to continue to create that continued success is in our new member process we always have the guys that are leaving find a new guy to mentor much like our big brother program where we give up people older brothers in the fraternity we make sure that everybody has a mentor and has passed on their knowledge before they go out the door because if you don't do that you just lose a little bit every year because there's no way to perfectly transition into the new pledge class or the new candidate class what's going to leave and so as long as you make sure that those people that are leaving have that mentor or mentee to pass everything they know to before they leave, it just continues that drive and continues that mission to succeed. That's great. Mason, any final pieces that you want to share, tips, advice? You know, you're someone also that's on the Collegiate Advisory Committee, so you're one of the representatives of the Collegiate Voice. Anything you want to share with our membership and our listeners to make them better or, or maybe something a mentor might have passed on to you? One thing that's been passed on to me is to live the bond. I know it sounds super cheesy and we, it's said- And talk about what that means. Cause I, you know, it's, obviously it's an important phrase, but what does that mean? 
Definitely. What, it means, what does that mean in action? That doesn't mean once we're in the room together, we have love, charity, and esteem, and we're holding up the ideals of Peak. That means no matter what setting you're in, no matter what you're up against, no matter where you are, you're practicing those ideals that Teague is built off of. That's helped me in countless different ways, whether it be in my career, in my collegiate career, as a fraternity man, just constantly having in the back of my mind what it means to be a Teague. Because even when your letters are off of your body, you're still a Teague. Even when you leave college, you're still a Teague. You took Absolutely. that bond, you took that lifelong promise to live those ideals, and so you can't just take that off. And so if you promise to be a teak, you promise to those ideals in every aspect of your life. And my life has become exponentially better since I've made a promise to myself and a promise to my brothers that I will never fall through from those. That's great. Mason, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing some thoughts and being a part of the Teak Nation podcast. Definitely. Thanks for having me. For this session, we have... Our CEO, Donnie Aldrich, talking about execution and results. This workshop took place for the full group. It was a general session on Saturday afternoon, so toward the end of the program. And really what Donnie focused on with these remarks is how are you going to take the information that you gathered at the RLC and take it home to make an impact? Donnie gives some great tips on the expectation of excellence, on how to be excellent back at your home campus, back at your home chapter, back in your community, and really in your life in general. So take a listen, see what you can apply to yourself, to your own life. And again, this is something that Donnie holds near and dear to his heart, is very passionate about. You'll hear that when he speaks. Hopefully you enjoy. All right, gentlemen, welcome. Find a seat. Last week they gave me 30 minutes. This week they gave me 40. So look out because I still got about an hour and a half of content. Get your notebooks out, get your cell phones out, whatever you need to capture the moment, take some things you can put into work back home. I want to first start with the thought process on the expectation of excellence. This session is about execution. The way that I believe we execute is to be in the right mindset to understand human beings. We are dealing with the most complex mammals walking the planet. Human beings and understanding how they operate, how they function. I want to give you a little bit of insight into that. You can take that back, put it to use, experiment with it. So why do we have the theme, the expectation of excellence? We're very thoughtful about that theme. There is a difference between hoping and expecting. And I want you to ensure you capture that in your brain. Many people hope to do X, hope to do Y. Hopefully we have a good recruitment event. Hopefully we have a good philanthropy event. Hopefully I do well academically this semester versus expecting that it's going to happen. You don't hope that you're going to take a shower in the morning. Fair? It's kind of an expectation that you take a shower and smell decent, maybe brush your teeth. It's definitely an expectation that you wear clothes. That's the difference between hoping and expecting. These things happen in our brain, happen in our lives daily, and we don't even, we just let it roll on by, right? These expectations. Expectations fuel your rituals and habits. So if I go back to that last example, my expectation is that I smell good. My ritual is going to be that I'm going to take a shower each morning, right? Maybe I'm going to throw on a little cologne. That's right, stay fresh, you never know. You never know when you might need it. My rituals and my habits. Once I have established my rituals and habits, I can consider elevating my standards. And by elevating our standards, gentlemen, we can look and focus on our vision and our dream of what we want to accomplish. So let me go through those real quickly for you again. Your expectations... Fuel your rituals and your habits. Your rituals and your habits fuel your standards. And your standards fuel your vision and your dream. Now as we get into this mindset aspect, what are the things we need to be doing? Actions. Words are great. Actions matter. Eliminating limiting beliefs. Limited beliefs produce limited people. What do I mean by that? How many of you, raise your hands nice and high, it's a great audience participation part of the program, 
Raise your hands nice and high if you know a guy in the chapter who says, well, that's not going to work. Well, we tried that before. Well, that's going to cost too much money. Oh, we tried that before. Yeah, see that? How much fun are those people to be around? Thank God you said that. Don't be that guy. Confidence drives confidence. You want to be successful in recruitment? Grow confidence in it. Practice it. Drives me crazy. I don't want to ruin Nick's presentation because Nick's a stud. Go to his session. But recruitment is what many of us consider the Super Bowl of our fraternity experience or Super Bowl of the year and getting new members in. Could you imagine if the Kansas City Chiefs didn't practice all year going into the Super Bowl? Yet our guys roll out of bed like, I know how to recruit. I don't need to practice. It's complete and utter arrogance. Competence drives confidence. And it only strengthens that belief that you can achieve your vision, your dream. You must grow. Growing, evolving, that is the juice in life. This weekend should be giving you a little bit of juice. I felt a lot of energy. I appreciate you. You've been bringing it. That's growth. Read. Invest in you. Watch videos. We live in the greatest technological age known to man. You can go on YouTube and learn about anything. Anything you want to learn. I'm very jealous. When I, YouTube was just getting going when I was a college student, and how many times in our house we needed to fix something, I could have freaking YouTube didn't figure it out. No, we had to find somebody who could come and fix it. Study greatness. You want to be great, study people who are great. It's called modeling. It's how the greats on this planet have become successful, modeling themselves from people who have done it before and finding new ways, being, Father Forbes talked about this last night, being innovative, building off of it, but let it be a baseline for you. Contribution, giving back, whether that's through time, whether that's through your talent, or whether that's through your treasure. That is the next level of a human need to contribute to something, something bigger than yourself. Part of why you're in this organization, right? Being part of something bigger than yourself. Now, understanding this can do a few things. One, it can aid in your ability to execute your goals, and we've talked a little bit about that. It can teach you one of the greatest aspects of leadership that they don't teach us as men very often. It's called empathy. Understanding where people come from, meeting them where they are, even if you didn't grow up like them, even if you don't have the circumstances they have, even if your brain doesn't operate like theirs does. Understanding this gives you empathy. And it also helps you to push buttons and navigate where you want people to be. And some folks, that sounds negative. It can be. Trust me, there are people who have walked this planet who have used some of these strategies to do some really poor things. But there's also some people who have done some amazing things because they use this in a positive way and how they push buttons and how they motivate people, how they drive people to be greater than what they ever thought they could be. I want you to consider constantly evaluating yourself. And be critical. That's the most important piece. Be critical. Most people walk this planet and they are so hard on everybody else. Somebody who cuts them off in traffic. Somebody who lied to them. Somebody who you know, doesn't dress as nice as they dress. Or maybe they didn't smile when you walk by them. Or they didn't shake your hand. But they won't be critical about themselves. They'll find a reason. They'll tell themselves a story of why they weren't successful. They'll make up excuses and how the world conspired toward their failure. Be critical. Schedule meetings with yourself. My poor small group, they've already gotten me hitting on a number of these things, so I know they're, they're like, okay, Donnie, we're doing this again. Yes. Schedule meetings with yourself, which means this. Too many people walk around this planet saying, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. You're just not very good at planning your time. That's what it is. Invest in you. Start with you. Schedule meetings with yourself. I'm going to take 30 minutes from 7 to 7.30, focused on making myself better. Too many people major in minor things. They know what's going on with the Kardashians, but they don't spend time making themselves better. They're too worried about some influencer versus being an influencer themselves. 
Are you utilizing all of your resources? Are you truly using all your resources? If we're talking in a fraternity circle, is that are you using your alumni? Are you reaching out to headquarters? Are you talking to council members? Are you, ta are you talking to other groups? Are you talking to volunteers? Are you using those resources? Are you leaving things on the table? Too many groups aren't successful, and the resources are right there if they want to invest and engage themselves, but they don't take that step. Many people leave a lot on the table in life. Take advantage of resources. I want to shift a little bit here. I talked about resources. What resources do you have available just to build on this experience? Last night, I talked about the Teak Nation podcast. We have 18 episodes so far. Wherever you get your podcast, it's free. And I say that, and I'll quickly contradict myself. Nothing's free, right? You all paid membership dues. Where's my money go? Part of it goes to having a podcast that doesn't cost you any extra dollars. We've got all sorts of topics and subjects. Take the time. You can put in your earbuds, your AirPods as you're walking to class or riding the bus. Resource guides. There are 15 resource guides at teak.org. Everything from being a Chryso to holding elections to alumni associations to recruitment, how to run a province, chapter meetings, how to run chapter meetings, how to stay engaged for life. And you might say, hey, Donnie, I know how to do all those things. Get better. Get better. There's something you're going to learn in there. I promise you all this. You can all run chapter meetings better. I've had the privilege for 12 years to go to some of those chapter meetings and spend in 20 to 30 minutes debating rush t-shirt colors makes me want to run into a wall. Okay? It's not that critical. People are not going to join because your color of rush t-shirt. People aren't going to join because your rush t-shirt at all. It might get you a little bit of people saying, now oh, that's a cool shirt. People are going to join because people join people, right? Now Nick's really getting pissed because I'm taking all of his content. People join people. We don't need to spend 30 minutes debating which fluorescent color we're going to make the recruitment shirt. Whew, that was like therapy. I got that off my chest. Thank you, everybody. AVA videos, which is the Alumni Volunteer Academy videos. You can watch these even if you're junior or senior, but especially for our alumni in the room. If you go to edu.tke.org, it's a five-part video series to coach up train, inspire, motivate our alumni volunteers. Educational programs, you're on one part of that journey. Some of you have hit the full bingo card and going to RLC and Leadership Academy and Conclave and Province Forums, right? Some of you are saying, what in the world were some of those things he just said? Learn about them. Participate in them. Invest in yourself. Take a chance. And what more you can learn, what more you can become. Engage with the professional staff. Now, that might sound really selfish coming from me. I want to explain this to you. These people are like doctors. No, we don't have the medical training of doctors. What do I mean by that? If you go into the doctor and you say everything's fine, even though you're in immense pain, what good is that going to do for you? But we have our guys that travel around with groups and they walk in the door and like, hey man, everything's great. And so our guys have to play Magnum P.I. or Columbo or pick some detective show that's on TV that I don't watch anymore, because I didn't watch the other ones either, and figure out when you say that, PJ, what does that actually mean, and trying to ask questions. Our guys are only there to help. And they're also like doctors on call. If you want help, it doesn't always have to be the person is there physically. So once again, with technology. I've had groups that have Skyped me in, and we do a quick little 20, 30-minute chop it up on recruitment or, or retainment or some other topic that they want to talk about. And they move on with their day, and I move on with mine. But again, it's a resource that's available to you. It doesn't cost any extra money. What am, I giving my, what am I paying my money to? You're paying your money to talented people who work for you. But if I pay a gym membership and I don't go to the gym, A, I'm not uh, going to be much stronger, and B, I just piss the money away. Too many people mistake movement for progress. I know I said it the other way. They mistake movement. I'm doing things that I'm actually making progress. It's another space we need to stop 
evaluate, am I actually moving forward? Am I making progress? Or am I just a hamster on a wheel? A lot of movement going on, but you're not going anywhere. Are we building an environment that drives the fraternity for life aspect? Many in this part of the country are, because look around at how many phenomenal alumni we have in the room. But I know this, we can do much better. This is the best region in that. That doesn't mean it's good enough. We can do better. In your group, are you transactional or relational? What does that mean? Is everything good between PJ and I whenever he's doing all the things I want to do and the second he steps off, we don't have a relationship anymore? Or do we have a relationship that if he makes a mistake, I go and have a conversation, we work together toward a better outcome? Are you building an experience that people want to invest in? When these seniors and juniors drop out, they're telling you your product is not worth them investing in. I want to briefly talk about life loyalty. Now, I talked about empathy earlier, right? So, I get it. Hey, Donnie, I'm paying my dues. I paid to come to this conference. Now you're going to talk to me about donating a life loyalty. I am. And here's why. Resources drive an organization's ability to move it forward. I don't know if you know this, but less than 1% of our membership donate to the fraternity. Do you know that? This crowd participation. Getting some yeses, getting some noes. Less than 1%. These people who claim they love the fraternity, but not to the point where they'll chip in. And I'm not talking about one, less than 1% give $10,000. I'm talking about less than 1% give $1, $5, whatever that is, to chip in, to just show I want to see my organization be healthier than it was the day before. We have to rebuild a culture of philanthropy in the fraternity. You guys are doing a phenomenal job in this with St. Jude. I'm talking to the guys in my small group. We just started the St. Jude Commitments in 2014. So for some of you, that's what you've always done and what you always know is, of course, we raised a lot of money for St. Jude. That wasn't the case before 2014. You all created that culture. You all have created that expectation. You all have created, we're going to push this forward. We've got to do the same thing when it comes to our organization for the next generation of Teeks and being able to do more events like this. I'd love instead of doing four RLCs, we could do six. We could do one in Boston, we could do one down here in New York. Canadians could try to figure out which one they're going to. The fraternity has consistently had this challenge. During World War II, the fraternity was down to 12 chapters. 12 chapters. Almost all of our men were over fighting for our freedom. And that's when the fraternity created what they called the Teak Loyalty Fund. So that was the first version of this. And back then, they asked everybody to contribute $3. You might say, $3, not really a big deal. They raised $30,000 off of asking people to contribute $3. But if you think about the criticalness of those $3, in the 1940s, the average person made $1,725 in a year. Gas was 11 cents. A loaf of bread was 10 cents, and a new car would cost you a whopping $850. So, if we took that $3 ask to today, it would be a $42 ask. But that's not what I am asking you to consider. For $18.99, the year of our founding, you can show that you're committed and invested into the fraternity in this way. You can do that over 12 payments. You can put a credit card in, so you're paying less than two bucks a month. You can do it six payments. You're paying a little over three bucks a month. You can do three payments, and you're paying, right, a little over six bucks a month. And you can do the math. What's that mean? I don't get a beer, right, one night a month, whatever that is. The critical aspect and why I'm saying this is because breaking this culture of just stacking up people who are engaged as donors. Our foundation partners, that's what they want to see more than anything. Yes. They want the dollars to flow so they can turn over and support the organization, but they just want to see more people engaged. It shows support that you believe in the family, you believe in the leadership, that they're going to take your dollars and put it to good use. Which is why 
How many of you paid $199 and the quad rates come here? Nice and high. How many of you know what you paid to be here? Come on, come on, nice and high, nice and high. You know the, the quad rate at $199 has been that for 10 years? <laughs> 10 years. Costs have continued to go up, 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 and we've continued to hold the line because of foundation support, because of people like you chipping in a little bit to allow us to elevate as an organization. Chase your dreams with intense focus and passion. Otherwise, there's no juice to life. You all have been tremendously attentive and focused, and I appreciate it. How can you be in this state when you get back home? When other people are telling you, hey, man, just that was cool. They brainwashed you up there for a little bit in New Jersey. But come on back to how we operate. You're going to get to choose what tomorrow looks like for you and the next day and the next day and the next day. Don't give that power over to somebody else. To being the best version of Kamal or Jacob or Miggy or Daniel or Alan or Liam. Don't give that over to somebody else. We got four more hours. Let's take full advantage. Let's stretch every single aspect of this thing. I'm honored to lead this family. I'm honored that you're all here and investing. Thank you for your time. Have a great time at workshops. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to that small snippet of what took place at the RLCs this year. There was a ton more, and if RLCs are something you're interested in in the future, I would strongly encourage you to maybe reach out to someone in your chapter that's attended in the past, maybe reach out to someone in another chapter who attended this year. If what you just heard was of value to you, I promise that attending an RLC in person in 2021 will increase that value tenfold. What we wanted to do was make sure that, that some of the major pieces that we covered this year you had access to, but again, there are breakouts, there are workshops, there's professional development, there's networking opportunities that you can only get by being at an RLC in person. So please consider attending an RLC in the future. Also, we have some other programs on the horizon. We have Teak Leadership Academy. That takes place in August of this year. The application deadline is March 15th, so if Leadership Academy is, is something that you're interested in or you've heard about, please take the time to go in and apply prior to March 15th and make sure that you give yourself that opportunity to attend Leadership Academy. We have Conclave coming up. It's going to be here before we know it in Houston in August of 2021. So if Conclave is, is something that really gets you excited, start saving now. Start making plans. Who from your chapter is going to attend? Which of your buddies are you going to road trip with down to Houston to get to Conclave? And then for any of our volunteers out there, we have a very unique training opportunity this summer with the Alumni Volunteer Academy. That's taking place in June in Atlanta. And we wanna make sure that our volunteers that need to be there, that need to be refreshed on everything that goes into being a great volunteer for Teak have that opportunity. So please do consider attending future Teak programs. Hope you all enjoyed this time and hope you all took a lot away from our, our speakers at the RLCs this year. Until next time, I appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>